They sound great, don't they? Y'all give it up for the choir one more time. Appreciate you guys so much. Orchestra. Even had a guitar solo over here. Did y'all hear that? And uh, my face melted off in the front floor here. That was so good. We appreciate you doing that, man. Hey, listen, if you uh, know this, we just got back from a cruise, had an awesome, awesome time. That's why I'm so tan this morning and uh, looking sweet. But anyway, so uh, we did have a great time last week. And I, I don't know if you guys remember, how many of y'all were here last Sunday while I was preaching? Slip it up real quick and then uh, head back down. All of you who were not, would you please raise your hand? No, I'm just kidding. But... You guys who were here last week, if y'all remember, during the message, I had mentioned something about how I don't really like dogs and I don't really like cats. Do y'all remember that? And uh, first of all, forgive me if you're a cat lover, dog lover, all right? And uh, we'll still get along. We'll be in heaven and you'll see there's no dogs or cats there. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, while I was gone, my mother kept our children and she went and bought them a dog. Y'all believe that in there? That's ridiculous is what I think. So needless to say, following the service, if you would like to have a puppy, we've got one readily available and I'll give it to you for free, all right? But uh, so we have a dog now. Also, um, God bless you, brother. I see that hand. I just want to let you know if we're, you're here this morning visiting, we're so glad that you're here. And I know I've already met several parents who are here with their college students this week. And I know we've got a lot of people traveling this week as well with uh, spring break going on. But we're just glad you came to worship with us today. So if you're visiting, you got a brochure when you came in. Fill out the little visitor card, drop it in the offertory plate, or uh, meet me right out here in the foyer. I'd love to give you a free gift just for coming. Have the opportunity to do that this morning with some people. We'd love to do that with you today, okay? Let's right now begin to shake some hands with some folks, all right? Welcome each other to God's house this morning.
um, harmonies that you got. Oh, precious is the flow. All right, you ready? A little country twang going on. All right, you ready? Oh, precious is the
They actually say that around 85% of people will come to church if they are only invited. You know, next Sunday is going to be an awesome Sunday. It's our Easter celebration. We have three services that morning, uh, one starting at 8.30, 9.45, as well as 11. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to be doing the same thing, to get out there in our community and invite people to come to church next Sunday. We're looking forward to God doing a great, great work. We want to make it very simple for you. So what we've got are some of these business cards that have been made up. And you can grab some as you leave. If you did not get any in your Sunday school class, grab some as you leave the church sanctuary this morning. They'll have them right out there at the exit doors. Take a handful of them. And then throughout this week, let's begin to invite people to show up to worship on Sunday morning. And here's the deal. Our confidence on Sunday really is in the gospel. Amen. Uh, we're confident that God can use the gospel to redeem people. So we want to be aggressive as followers of Jesus and really ambitious as we get out into the community, not allowing any person in Hall, White County or surrounding counties to go uninvited to an Easter service. So let's make sure we are getting out there, really shining our light and inviting people. And then let's pray that God would use next Sunday as a way to draw people to himself that they might make a life-changing decision to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen? And uh, we look forward to that. Now we want to pray for God to really use that time that we have together next week. So let's pray together. Father, it's a great privilege to be saved, to know you personally, uh, to have our sins forgiven, washed, to be redeemed. We've sung about all of those things. It's also a great reality that the Spirit of God has opened our minds and hearts to the truth that you indeed died for our sin, were buried according to scriptures, and then were resurrected. And God, we're so thankful for how you have done all of this to restore us, to bring us into a relationship with you. And now, as Christ's followers, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation according to the Bible. So I pray that we would be involved in that ministry this week. And just like the man we've seen on the screen here, uh, there are individuals that we will pass this week who just simply need to be invited. Some of them are at the end of their rope. Uh, they feel as if they have no direction or no hope. And God, I pray that you would put those people in our path, that we would invite them, uh, plan to sit with them, pray for them. And then, God, we're going to rest solely in the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in a supernatural fashion in all three services next week asking that you would call people to salvation, show up in a unique way. And Lord, we'll be quick to give you the praise for it. And now, Lord, as we continue our time of worship, uh, you sit as sovereign king over the universe, and you are listening to us. You are hearing our prayers. You are hearing our worship. God, I pray that we sing to no one but you, uh, that we pray to no one but you, for you are the one true and living God who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. So help us to give that up to you. And God, I pray you look down on us and you smile as you smell the aroma of praise going up into your presence. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen.
this morning that he made a way. He said it was done when he said it was finished. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done for us on the cross. That gives us a reason to be here today, to hear your word and to want to walk out of this place, not the same as we came in, but challenged by your word to go out and to make a difference where you've planted us. Touch Levi now. Father, as he breaks your word, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Hey, you've got a Bible. Let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 through 45 will be our text of Scripture for this morning. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, would you open that with me? And if you're visiting, we'd be going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel and uh, looking forward to how God's going to continue to speak to our hearts. The message series is entitled, Astonished. And we are astonished at what Jesus is teaching. And uh, that's why we've chosen that particular term to describe this series. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 39. You've got it in front of you. Say amen. And uh, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke 6, beginning in verse 39 uh, through 45 this morning. The Bible says, And Jesus uh, spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, "Uh, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Let's pray together. Father, it's a great privilege to be in your house this morning to hear from heaven and to study your word. And I want to pray in Jesus' name this morning that you would indeed speak clearly to each one of our hearts. I thank you, God, for how you washed us this morning in the first service and uh, just taking into consideration what you teach through the book of Ephesians. Lord, I pray that you would wash us by the water of your word this morning. And God, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, as we all run the race of faith together, doing so for your glory and for your namesake. Now I pray, God, you give me clarity of mind, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and grant me the ability to speak in such a way that would honor you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. So I want to begin this morning just simply by giving you a word that is a pretty common word in most church circles. And the word is holiness. Everybody say holiness. And uh, my question to you is, what exactly do you really think of when holiness comes to mind? You know, someone says that's a holy individual or she's a holy lady. Uh, How do you think about those people in that moment? You know, sometimes uh, people have the image of this glowing aura around someone's head when they consider someone to be holy. Some may view the term in a negative light. They think of people who believe they are so much better than everybody else and 
they begin to say stuff like, oh, well, he or she, they're, they're holy rollers. That's what they are. But you know, from a biblical perspective, we know that God is called holy. And Isaiah chapter 6, the angels call out to one another describing God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. Three times the angels use the word holy. And what they are doing is they are declaring that holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Spirit, and that the whole earth is full of His Glory. Now, the term holy literally means otherness. It means separate and dedicated. Indeed, the Bible teaches God is other. He's separate. He's dedicated as the one true and living God. However, as we begin to consider the term holiness, it's not only ascribed to God, but it is also a command for the New Testament church to live holy. Do you know Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and 16, You shall be holy for I am holy. And what Peter is doing is he is quoting God who spoke those words in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. You shall be holy for I am holy. So what does the Lord teach us who are Christ's followers? Well, He teaches you and I that we are to live holy lives. We are to be distinctly different in character and conduct from those who are far away from God. We are to be a separate and dedicated group who reflect the glory of God in our lives. And in this pursuit of holiness, some have taken an unbiblical route. In fact, there are those who, after taking vows of poverty, they wear long robes with hoods and often go to high places and live in monasteries. They commit their lives to living as monks, all in the name of holy living. They walk alone and they live in silence. Now, some people revere that. They think that's a great thing. But what's the problem with that? Well, there's a massive problem with that. When a person lives like a monk, separate from people, they reject one of God's greatest tools for holy living. You say, well, what is that tool? Well, it's the New Testament church. It is the body of believers. It is a group of people who come together under the bloodstained banner of Christ. And they reject that. You see, the church, the body of Christ, is a gift from God to every believer to help promote holy living. Those who link their lives to a body of believers are displaying their need for holy living and holy assistance. Uh, this is why church membership is so important. Those who are loosely affiliated with a body of believers are not reaping the benefits of the local body of believers. There are those who visit churches for a living. So they'll go to one church on one Sunday, go to another church the next Sunday, and so on and so on. It's almost as if, well, just as long as we're in church. But they never plug in. Uh, they never join a local fellowship committing themselves to the body in efforts uh, to be on a team in pursuit of living a holy life together. You know, I believe becoming a member of a local body and committing yourself to that fellowship is vitally important because it aids in your pursuit toward holy living. That is, within the context of a body of believers, we long to help one another live holy lives. We are to seek uh, with pure motives in our hearts to see one another be all that God desires for us to be. Think about it. If you're going to help another person lead a holy life, this means you're going to have to help them see their sin and actually turn from it. Now, this literally means you're going to have to make a judgment call on a person's sin. Somebody says, well, wait a minute, Levi. Last week you read the scripture from Jesus right here in Luke's gospel and said, Do not judge 
or else you will be judged. How can you say that we must make a judgment call about people now? That is contradictory. Well, not so fast. Remember, the concept of judging from last week's passage of Scripture spoke of unholy censorship. The goal of that type of uh, judgment is to tear another person down in order to build yourself up. However, the Scripture explicitly teaches that we must judge the actions of other believers with the intent of restoring them to the race of holiness, not with the idea of rejecting them from the race altogether. So, in the book of Galatians, I've been reading and uh, find where Paul encourages the New Testament church to care for one another. Paul says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So put this imagery in your mind this morning. You and I, as members of Concord Baptist Church, we are running the race of faith together. By the way, there's no lone rangers, all right? We run together. That's how God has set it up. That's why he's got the whole church thing going on. Are y'all listening? Say yes. So we run together this race of faith. But in the context of you and I running this race together, all of a sudden someone stumbles and falls into sin. That is, they trip up. And I love how Paul the Apostle describes it in the New Testament because in Galatians chapter 5, he actually says that you and I as followers of Jesus are to walk by the Spirit. That is, we're to be filled with the Spirit of God, walking. That's the imagery he has. And then he says, but if anybody falls down, if they trip up and trespasses and sin, then you who are spiritual restore such a one. So the idea here is that if a person in this body of believers falls into sin, we are not to judge them unrighteously, but we are to judge them righteously. Paul the Apostle is like, don't look at them and shake your head in disappointment. Don't get a bunch of other runners together and start ragging the person out for their broken ankle. Instead, seek to restore them. And the word restore literally gives the imagery of setting a broken bone. And so that's the concept. Someone falls into sin, we rush to their side, and we set in uh, their own bones that which is broken. We help them. We are seeking to restore them. See, unholy judgment would be to point, shake your head, rag them out, just assume they shouldn't be running the race to begin with. And if that's your attitude, you might want to check and make sure you're running in God's race and that you are actually on God's team. If you are running God's race... If you are on God's team and you see a brother caught in any trespass, you will stop, point out what caused the person to fall, and then gently pick them back up with a desire to keep them running. Now, I've gone to uh, an Ironman in Lake Placid, uh, New York before. I was not running in it. Some of our church members have. God bless you, whatever, if you want to run that much. All right. But anyway, so I was going there on a mission trip, and in the context of seeing all these people running and swimming and biking, I would see people actually fall down in the run. They would just lose their footing and fall. And immediately, these runners would gather around the person who had fell and help them get back up and help them get back on the race once again. That is a picture of what this church needs to look like. When an individual falls into sin, the runners, and it's kind of unique, you know, think about it this way. They're in the Iron Man, somebody falls down, and the runners run by and start pointing and laughing. Did you see that joker back there who fell? That sorry, what's he doing in this race? He don't know what he's doing. Nobody would do that. It makes no sense. It also makes no sense for anybody in the context of the New Testament church to do that either. When somebody falls down, you don't point, you don't laugh, you don't gossip, you don't rag. You help. 
Y'all out there, I'm going to preach whether you want me to or not, all right? We help one another. Now, this morning, I've got a key question for our text. And our question, very simply, is how do I help other people live a holy life? Or else I could ask it this way. How do we help one another live holy lives? Really, one major principle this morning, and then a whole bunch of wooden stuff up here I'm going to show you. All right? Did y'all notice these up here? All right, good deal. Just checking. Here's the principle. I need to make sure that I am running in the Jesus lane myself. I need to make sure that I am running in the Jesus lane myself. How can I help another person live holy? I've got to make sure I'm running in the Jesus lane. Notice verse 39 in your Bible. Scripture says, Jesus speaking, he spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now stop there. Remember the context. Contextually, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he is warning them against the legalism of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These men, Pharisees and Sadducees, they're creating a religious system which they are calling righteous and holy living. But Jesus is saying about these who are considered religious, He's saying they are actually blind individuals. They do not understand something. What do they not understand? They don't understand God's righteousness is granted to them by faith, not earned by them through their supposed good works. So they have the whole thing completely wrong. They are blind men who are leading other blind men. Eventually, their self-righteous living, the lane they are running in, will drop off into a pit. And Jesus says, everyone who's running behind them, everyone who is following them, will also find themselves in the bottom of a pit very soon. Verse 40, the Bible says, a pupil, that is a student, is not above the teacher. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now I take this to mean that those who are following the lane of the self-righteous will eventually become just like their teacher. That is, they will be characterized as censorious, evil judges who are overwhelmingly bitter toward the idea of faith and grace. Those who think they can earn their way into God's favor, they scorn the very grace of God. They do not like the grace of God. They want, for some unknown reason to me, they want to try to earn righteousness when the Bible clearly says you can't earn it because nobody's good, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you can't even earn it. But people are out there trying their hardest, and ultimately they're seeking to do that so they can point it themselves and say, look how holy I am. But they have a misconception of what holiness is. Y'all still with me? Say yes. And now we go a step further into verse 41 and 42. The Bible says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye out. Now what Jesus is teaching contextually here is pretty simple, so listen close. How can a self-righteous person who does not know God go around and act as someone else's teacher about God? They have this huge plank. They have this two-by-four stuck, or shall I say, shoved directly into their eyes. Uh, that's why they are blind. Uh, so what makes them think they can help anyone else? And Jesus says uh, that is the epitome of hypocrisy. And the word hypocrite was the same word used to describe someone who was an actor on stage. They were pretenders. They were posers. Now, I don't know if you remember, uh, but when I was in middle school, some of y'all were 
are a little older than me, I don't know, maybe y'all are. But anyway, so uh, when I was in middle school, uh, there were a group of guys who used to go around uh, wearing what we called skater clothes. They were guys who were skateboarders. And uh, y'all just shake your head and act like you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, so uh, they would wear these skater clothes. They would wear their hair like Tony Hawk. And then they would, you know, go around and all get together in front of the school. And they would go out to skateboard. They were so scary. They used language like rad. That's rad, man. So they talked. And then we would get out there and we would watch them skateboard and come to find out that joker that looks like Tony Hawk, talks, talks like Tony Hawk. He's a skater, by the way. That individual, he can't skate a lick. So you know what we started calling those jokers? Posers. They were pretenders. They acted like something that they were not. That's what Jesus is calling those who talk like they know God, tell everyone how they know God, but they don't reflect the character and the nature of God. Why? Because they're posers. They're hypocrites. They don't know God themselves. But notice what Jesus teaches them to do, and I like this. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the text is challenging us to make sure that we are running in the lane of Jesus, that we are saved by grace through faith in Him, and that this is huge. Then we can actually help others get the speck out of their eye. That is, once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've been saved by grace through His death, burial, and resurrection, applied to our life. Once that occurs, that means the, the big log is out of our eye now. Now we have the heart to actually help people who have specks in their eyes. This will help us run with passion toward holiness. Notice Jesus presupposes in this text that we are all living this life together. He's uh, talking about our relationship with one another, and I love it. That's why he continues to mention brother. If you see your brother, if you see your brother. So he's basically saying, look, I mean, we all live this life together. Now, as I really meditated on these verses, I began to see the two lanes that we as Christians often find ourselves running in. And you've got to listen closely. I want to explain this using my own life. At the moment of conversion, when I prayed and received Jesus as my Savior, at that moment, the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God came to take up residence in my life. Now I'm being challenged by the New Testament to make sure that I live a Spirit-filled life. This means I need to make sure that I'm being led by the Holy Spirit in both my attitudes and my actions, my character and my conduct. It literally speaks of the fact that the Spirit of God is supposed to take control of my life. It goes well with Romans 12 where it says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. By the way, how can something be living and a sacrifice? Great question. We sacrifice ourselves. The Bible says we take up our cross daily and we die to it. Ourself, to our old nature, our old way of thinking and living. And we are filled with the Spirit. That's where the life comes. And the Spirit of life living through us enables us to run toward holiness. And that's what the Scriptures are teaching. And as I start running the race toward Christ-likeness, toward holiness, there's always an opportunity, listen, for me to veer off of the Jesus lane and actually begin to run on the Levi lane. So how do I know? And this is a great question, I think. How do I know if I have veered off of the Jesus lane and I'm walking on the lane of Levi, my old flesh, as opposed to my new nature in Christ? Well, I think it all deals uh, explicitly with how 
we respond to those who fall into sin. Now, are y'all with me? Say yes, because I'm going to show this stuff to you. Whenever I see in my life a person who falls into sin, and my immediate response to that individual is rejection, I've got a massive problem. That is, when I see somebody trip up and all of a sudden I begin to alienate myself from them, turn my back on them, want nothing to do with them, and even try to avoid getting around them, and I'm rejecting them, then I'm on the wrong street. I'm on Levi Lane. And as a result, what ends up happening whenever I reject them is that I really am living a self-righteous life. The only reason that I would ever reject another person is because I think I've got it going on. I think I'm so holy. I've just got it all squared up, man. So when I see somebody fall into sin, it's like, how in the world could they live like that? Bunch of sorry jokers. Scum of the earth is what they are. So I reject them. Why am I living that way? Because I am self-righteous. And whenever self-righteousness is uh, showing up in my life, it's all because I am being driven by pride. Pride literally is ego, and ego stands for edging God out. And so when pride begins to take control of my life, I'm self-righteous, I reject other people. But then the ultimate reality of this is that I am living in this particular manner right here, a fleshly life, fleshly living. That's where it is. Do you all see that? Say yes. And it all goes down that way. So whenever I am on Levi Lane, I always respond this way. And then if I just look back down the road, I can see all of these other areas that are true in my life. So you're in here this morning and you claim to know Jesus Christ personally. And you and your spouse have had a few arguments here lately. And the wife, you're looking at your husband and saying, there's no way in the world I can forgive you for what you've done. And she begins to give the cold shoulder and gives rejection. You know what she's giving evidence of? Go right on down the lane. Self-righteousness, prideful, fleshly living. Y'all still out there say yes? This is what shows up. This is what describes the life of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's amazing. What did they do? They rejected everybody they came into contact with. They rejected Jesus. They're like, Jesus, you're out there hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. We want nothing to do with you. And they're rejecting sinners. They're rejecting tax collectors. They're turning away from them. And they're saying, we're the holy ones. No, no, no. That's not holiness. That's rejection. And that's self-righteousness. That's pride. That's fleshly living. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow somebody who's a Pharisee, who lives in this particular manner, know this, that dude's going to fall off in a pit, and so are you. Be very careful. This is Levi Lane. Insert your name here. Whatever your name is, this is the lane. Some of you came into the house this morning, and this has been your attitude all week towards somebody who's fallen into sin. You've rejected them. You want nothing to do with them. Be very careful, man. You're walking down the wrong street. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Now, there's a better lane to get on. Somebody falls into sin, and instead of me rejecting them, if this is my first desire, restoration, then something good is happening in my heart. So it says, well, what's good is happening in your heart? Well, here's what's good. I am living not by pride, but actual humility. And what drives my humility? Check this out. It's called His righteousness. The only reason that I am right before God is not because of some good works that I've got. It's all because of His grace. So I'm not over here acting self-righteous like i got something going on. No, no, no. In humility, I'm resting in His righteousness alone. 
So that shows up in my life. And if that is the case, then guess what's true about me? It is called spirit living. The Spirit of God has control of my heart. Spirit of God has control of my life. This is where it's at. Are y'all listening? Everybody in the building, you're on one of these lanes as a follower of Jesus. You may have veered off onto this lane. Good news, you can come back to this lane. How do I know that for confident? How can I be so confident in that? Because this is the heart of Christ. Restoration. That's what He does. And when you begin to follow Jesus, guess what? You begin to do what He does. I'm going to say that again and give you all a chance to say amen. When you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to do what He does. Well, yeah, your heart is to restore others. It's amazing how different church would look if we got off of this road and all stayed on this road. Somebody would fall into sin. We wouldn't get on the horn and call a bunch of people. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he did? Rejection. That's what you're doing. Fleshly living. That's what's driving it. Be very careful. You want to find the person who fell? You want to help them. And you know why you want to do that with such uh, fervor? Because you're going to fall. <laughs> Eventually, some of you are going to fall. You know what you're going to need? People to come alongside and not reject you, but actually seek to restore you and help you. That's what church looks like. And we got to make sure we're on the Jesus lane. Now, if you find, and I want you all to listen closely. If you all are listening, say I'm listening. If you find that your attitude, your heart continually is rejection to those who commit sin, you continue to find yourself unrighteously judging others to make yourself look good, uh, you may have a much worse problem than the fact that you have veered off the Jesus lane. Uh, you may have never veered onto the Jesus lane. In other words, you might not know Jesus. Y'all out there? Jesus says it like this in Matthew 7. He goes like this. Hey, guess what, guys? Uh, there will be a lot of people who call me Lord, Lord, who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did y'all hear this? So what Jesus does, is he looks here at you and he says, I just want to let you know, a lot of people are going to call me Lord, but they ain't coming to heaven because they don't really know me. See, when we know Christ, this is a result of our life. But when we do not know Christ, we can't do this. This is not natural. This is a supernatural process in our heart that only God can make happen. And so what happens is if you don't know Christ, you're always living like this. You may have an occasional good day every once in a while and all of a sudden you're nice, but you don't give God the glory. You give yourself the glory. You point at yourself. You're like, there's another good work I did. Self-righteousness. Stay on that road, you'll fall in a pit called hell and spend eternity separated from God. So some of y'all, it's not that you veered off, you just never got on this lane. But good news is God wants you to get on this lane. That's why He offered His Son to die on a cross for you, be buried and get up from the grave. All of that so He can redeem you and restore you. That's what He's done. Notice in your Bible, though, Jesus carries the thought out in verse 43. He says, There's no good tree which produces bad fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. Jesus is saying that if you look at your life and find that what is continually coming out of you is self-righteousness, prideful living, rejection of others, then guess what? You are not a good tree. 
In fact, if your actions continue to sin, you're giving evidence that you are trusting yourself and not Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have not gotten on the Jesus lane at all. And Jesus is like, no one grabs figs from thorns. No one picks grapes from briars. That is, if you're a bad tree, you will find that no one ever seeks or finds nourishment, refreshment, or anything beneficial from knowing you personally. Think about the Pharisee and the Sadducee. They're living this life apart from God. Oh, but they think they're spiritual. They think they got it going on. Guess what? No one comes to them to be refreshed or to be helped or to be restored. Why does no one come to them? Because they're thorns. All they want to do is poke you. They're briar bushes. All they want to do is choke you. That's how they act because they don't know God. Verse 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So Jesus is like, not sure how you're living? Just listen to what you're saying. Your words always reflect your heart. You gossip about other sin. You stir up controversy about other people's lives. You talk about how you will have nothing to do with a fallen brother. You talk about how you have written off another sister in Christ. It's just coming out of your mouth. I would say it to you like this, if this is coming out of your mouth, your breath stinks. And really, it's not your breath that stinks, it's really your heart that stinks. And it's just the aroma coming up from a bad heart, coming out of a mouth, which stinks, doesn't know God. However, if you find your words are building people up when they fall, restoring people, sharing hope and vision for those who have veered off the Jesus lane in the family of God, then guess what? Your breath smells good. You know why your breath smells good? Because your heart's good. You know why your heart's good? Because God gave you a brand new one. That's what smells good. So really this morning, I could ask very simply, which lane are you on? Where are you at? Are you on this lane? That is, you, you've never come into a personal relationship with God. You don't know God. You don't know Him. So this is how you live. Or perhaps you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you find yourself in the middle of something going on right now, and this is your attitude. What do you need to do? Repent, come back to this lane, get on the right path. And God, by His grace, will fill you with your Holy Spirit. And what's awesome about this is then you actually seek to restore others. That's doing good deeds. And the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be uh, held accountable for how we've lived, what we've done, whether good or bad. And He's going to look at our service towards others. How we've responded to them how we've sought to help them. And whenever we do this in a biblical fashion, the way God desires for it, the Bible teaches that we will receive a reward from Jesus Christ. But you know what we'll do with the reward? We'll take it and throw it right back to Jesus. Why are we doing that? Because the only reason we got the reward to begin with was not because we did it, but because the Spirit of God residing within us did it. It was His righteousness. Humility. Restoration. So what happens is you receive a reward and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't really... Earn this anyway. This is yours, Lord. We'll give it back to Him. Do y'all see this? It's an awesome picture. So where are you? You're a Christian. You need to get off this path. Stay on this one. You're not a Christian. This is the path. The only one you've known. You can repent this morning to be saved by God's grace. And He will redeem you and restore you. And then this could be the picture of your life. And then wouldn't, by the way, wouldn't you, by the way, listen, stand before the Lord one day. Wouldn't you desire for this to describe you as opposed to this?
Y'all out there? Because this is how the Lord eventually separates. Right? Depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, come into my presence for all of eternity. So I challenge you. Two ways. What road are you on? Then secondly, here's my other challenge. Eyeball to eyeball, look at me. What fellowship are you a part of? We're all running the race together. You need to join a church. You need to be plugged in as a member of the church, and you need to be growing with that fellowship. Listen, if God's calling you to join this church, that's great. If He's not, that's great too. But find the church where the Lord wants you and start running with some other people. And don't just go around bunny hopping at churches, all right? Find a place, plug in, let's grow together in our relationship with Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts this morning.